righty, we are back once again. Kevin Pendergrass and Lee Grant. That's me, in case you were wondering. My name's right down there somewhere. And I'm Kevin. Yeah, it's right yeah, that's there. Yeah, it's right there. Yes, we are exploring faith, pursuing grace. And Kevin, <laughs> this evening we are going to be talking about a very important topic. It's something that we have kicked around for a little while, and we decided to go ahead and get into it now. And that is the idea of ultra-nationalism and Christianity and how those are two diametrically opposed worldviews. This is a really important topic, and it's really important because America, in large part, is viewed by Americans, by many Americans, by many Christian Americans, as being a Christian nation. There are there, there's no shortage of people. There are many, many people who love their country and they love their God. And to them, America is almost like Israel 2.0. America is God's <laughs> nation. It's a good way nation. of putting it. Yeah, it, I never it thought is, though. Way. I mean, I mean, yeah. if, we're, if we're gonna be true about it, that that's the truth. There are people who are incredibly patriotic. There are people who love God and who have a very strong faith within whatever paradigm they find themselves in in terms of their faith. But they are they are Christians, they are Americans, and they are proud of it. They would take no second thought to ensconcing themselves in old glory, wrapping themselves up in the stars and stripes with a Bible in one hand and a constitution or an AR-15 in the other, which whenever I say AR-15, I have four of them. But there are people who would have no qualms about doing that and making that the centerpiece of their family photo session. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not denigrating anybody that has that particular worldview. But there is a very real problem that can arise whenever our national identity as Americans begins to become conflated with our spiritual identity as Christians and people that follow Christ. That is a problem. If we are more American than we are Christian, that's not a good place to be. It does become a problem whenever that's the case, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Yeah, there's this this enmeshment of... Americanism and Christianity that seems to be just really prevalent right now. And you look at someone and you're talking to them, you're having conversations, you look at how they live, you see their views, and they claim that they're Christian and they proudly proclaim that they're Christian, but then you actually start examining their life and it's really more reflective of a of an American than it is a Christian. And some people, no. unfortunately, don't even realize the the difference between that. And I want to just, you know, you've done a good job kicking off the introduction here. And I want to be careful, too, as you've pointed out. I and mean, we're not against anyone loving their country, uh, anyone loving America, anyone considering themselves a patriot, those types of things. We're, we're not I, saying. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm all of those things. Yeah, I'm an yeah. American and I am proud to be an American. I am so thankful and grateful there's, to live and to have grown up in this yeah, country, brother. There's, there's nowhere else I would want to live um, than America. And a lot like my my dad, my grandfather, um, were all, all veterans. Um, so, you know, I, I want to just be very careful before we start this conversation. This isn't going to be propaganda that says if you love your country, you're a horrible person and you need to repent. Um, I, I love America. I love my country. Lee, I know you do as well. And so once again, the problem is when 
as you you called it, uh, kind of this Israel 2.0 when when Christianity becomes so enmeshed with with America that you really can't tell the difference. And I want to really talk about how we got here <laughs> and why this is such a popular view, because quite frankly, I didn't understand for a while. And I used to write articles about how America is not a Christian nation and it never has been. And I just could not understand why there were people who felt that it it was or that it once was or that it is. And I, I want to first just define our terms a bit, because when we ask the question, is America a Christian nation? And what and we're, we're defining that by saying that God somehow has given his divine will and love upon America as opposed to all other nations and that God has been with America more and that God is blessing America more than any other nation. God has set apart America as his special country. His it, chosen people. Yeah, his like chosen Israel. people. Yeah. yeah. If if that's what someone means, then no. Uh, America has never been a Christian nation. America's not a Christian nation and, and America never will be. A Christian nation. In fact, by default, it cannot be. And the reason being is because the church, the spiritual kingdom, is is not of this world in the sense of being one physical nation. It transcends physical borders, according to John chapter 18, verse 36. Even Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If, if that was the case, we would be fighting, but that's not what the church is about. That's not what the spiritual kingdom is about. God's kingdom is spiritual and includes people of all nations, of of all races, of you know, of of of, of all. Uh, I was going to say of all religions, <laughs> but it includes it of all different um, uh, nationalities. Whatever God's God's kingdom is not limited to just America. So we have to be careful with that. And so many people, though, they end up trying to make America something that it never was something that it's not and something that it never will be. But if we're talking about are there Christian principles that have always been dominant in America, that Christ, that America has always had a traditional Christian culture, then that's usually what people are talking about when yeah. they, they, they speak of America and Christianity. Now, that's absolutely what people mean whenever they say that America is a Christian nation. Now, I don't want to speak for everybody because I can't. I don't have a window into their minds, but I would say that predominantly that's going to be true for the majority of people. I am sure that there are people out there that do believe that America is essentially Israel 2.0, that we are God's special chosen people on this continent over here in North America where that border stops right there because, you know, we can't include those godless Canadians in, in our, uh, you know, in our you know, stating that we are God's special chosen people. But what people mean is, is that whenever they say that we're a Christian nation, godless Canadians, those godless Canadians and their bunch of heathens up there and their hockey and their maple syrup, their maple syrup. We can't have that. But whenever they talk about the, the, the status of America as a Christian nation, like what yeah. you said, that that's a cultural it's, determination. Yeah, that yeah. that's a cultural. De- uh, that, it's it's a cultural statement based on the overt or dominant religion that exists within our borders, and that's due largely to our history. Because 
you know, most of the Puritans came over to the new world before America was established as a nation, wherever it was still part of the colonies of England so that they could establish their own religion. So that instead of being under the thumb of the church of England, that they could worship according to their own conscience, that they could worship according to their own dictates. And then we see in the great American experiment, how that has turned out. And even now, though, we start to see that change because more and more people, especially in the younger generations, are unchurched. They may mm-hmm. claim that they are spiritual but not religious. And there are some that are rejecting Christianity entirely for a more nebulous, generalized spirituality. So even that statement that America is largely a Christian nation in cultural terms Even that particular definition is beginning to wane because of the changing perspectives of the generations that are up and coming. Yeah, and even within Christianity itself, there are so many different denominations and diverse views among Christians that it's not just when you say the word Christian, you think of one particular person or one set of beliefs or system. It can mean many different things. I mean, when you think about all the different churches that exist in America and all the different Christian belief systems, there's a lot of them out there. That's why many Christians have proposed using the word Christianities because there's not really just one Christianity anymore. There's a lot of different types of of, of Christianities out there in America. And so when, when you have those individuals who were taught that there are certain principles at play, There are certain truths that we should always uphold. And then you have Christians who are saying, well, I I agree with you on some points, but on others I've reevaluated and I've come to different conclusions on what you think is Christian. And so because of that, there's no longer the, I'll even use the word conservative, traditional Christianity that is dominating legislation and leadership, at least by and large. I mean, there are certainly areas within the country where we see that still taking place and happening. But by and large, we see that there's been a big shift. So they're due to a lot of, you know, we're more, we're, America is more pluralistic than it's ever been. It's more culturally diverse than it's ever been. It's more religiously diverse than it's ever been. And even among Christianity itself, it's more diverse than it's ever been. And that's due to education. That's due to things such as social media. That's due to uh, just just us being able, internet itself and technology to be exposed to more ideas. And so because of all of that, there's this crossroads where many more conservative Christians or fundamentalist Christians believe that they have to restore America somehow back to what they deem glory days. Um, They feel that in some ways God is maybe cursing America right now, that God is hurting America or God is allowing America to, uh, to to come under duress because we're not, and when I say we, I mean America as an entity is not doing what they think should be done. And so there's this push to save America. There's this alarmist approach to make sure we get America back to where it was so that God begins to bless us again. And what's what's ironic with this about this is that it, it is so enmeshed with an erroneous foundation of of what a country is supposed to look like or what it has to look like and what it should look like, especially since there is no such thing as a Christian nation today, since the kingdom and the church transcends borders, 
there, there's a lot of just presuppositions about how a country should run. And Lee, I think you and I have talked about this in times past that, you know, I remember thinking 15 years ago, well, if I was president and I had the power, then I would make it a sin to, you know, use instrumental music in your, in your church worship. Or and make I, it illegal. Yeah. And, uh, or yeah, not a sin. It's, it, it was already a sin back then. Yeah. Okay. Make it, <laughs> make it, uh, make it illegal to do that. Or I would end up trying to, you know, enforce all these different rules because, Hey, if I had the power, I could do whatever I want to. But when you're dealing with a nation, when you're dealing with a country and there's all sorts of different views, you have to learn to work together among those amongst those different uh, views and and beliefs and religions and those types of things. And so a lot of this is predicated on a popular passage. We're going to talk about the context of this passage because you know here with exploring faith, pursuing grace, one thing that we always want to emphasize is context, understanding the context. And the passage is Second Chronicles hey, chapter seven. 14. Before we get into that, can I touch on something that you just mentioned just a yeah, moment yeah, ago? Yeah, please go ahead. I'd, I'd like to touch on this because I don't want us to move on into the meat and potatoes of what we're going to talk about without touching on this first. Whenever you were saying this idea of taking America back because mm -hmm. things are changing, America is becoming far too diverse in terms of maybe skin color in some areas, or maybe in terms of sexuality and other or sexual orientation or gender orientation or anything like that. America is becoming far too diverse. So we need to take America back and, and go back to go back to the Bible and, and save America. <laughs> what, what people are talking about there and they don't realize that they're not saying that we need to go back to the Bible. They're saying we need to go back to late forties, fifties and early to mid sixties McCarthyism. Yeah. That's what they're saying. They want to go back to the bygone era in which, you know, dad would leave the house at, you know, eight in the morning to go work in the office until five o'clock and then would come home while Susie and Johnny went to school and then Mayberry you know, would come home. Go back yeah. To Mayberry. Yeah. And dude. Well, honestly, frankly, except for, you know, the, you know, that little rascal Barney Fife going around and writing tickets to everybody who wouldn't <laughs> want to live in Mayberry. I mean, honestly, but, but the point is, is that whenever people say they want to get back to those fundamentals, if, if we look at that, there are certain cultural values that, that kind of came from and emanate from a somewhat Christian perspective, but those aren't really Christian ideals as much as their 1950s American cultural ideals. Yeah, they became so, distorted. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. They became distorted and they've become conflated. We're conflating that bygone era in which, and, it, and it's funny too, because there are so many people, and I, I've got to mention this because it just, it cracks me up. Anytime someone says that people nowadays, like my generation, your generation, the millennials or generation Z are way too sensitive and they're snowflakes. I'm thinking to myself, you guys would freak out if someone of the wrong color drank out of your water fountain. So don't go telling me I'm a snowflake or anyone else is a snowflake here. But I just, I wanted to make that point And that may be something that we touch on later. Again, it, yeah. But, yeah. Well, anyway. and, and and that's something too that you, you got me thinking um, about that too. Just how important it is to also point out that this is this is this is an offensive statement, and I'm well aware of that. So, oh, here we go. Yeah, here comes here the hate go. mail. I can see it now. Is, is that what most Christians mean by that? Is we want to get back to a time when Christianity served me. 
uh, is, is, is really yeah. what that means. It's not yeah. because we're not, look, we're not persecuted right now. This is, this is my, this has been my soapbox. Uh, Christians are not a persecuted in America. So can we shut up and quit saying we are okay? It, we're not. And what, what we're saying is Christianity is no longer serving me. We're not persecuted to the point where we can't serve our God. We're upset because we feel like God's no longer serving us in America. And yeah. that's really the root of the problem. And I'm not saying that to be ugly. I'm saying that because we need a wake-up call instead of saying, oh, save America. Say, Look, we can worship God. We are free to have this podcast called Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace, where we can talk about any topic that we want to, where we're able to have Muslims on our program. We're willing to have liberal Christians, conservative Christians, moderate Christians, non-Christians on our program. Truly, America is a wonderful country to live in, whereas we're able to do these things. So, Absolutely. So, but that so, homogeneity being lost is what scares people. And that's when people will trot out that text over there in Second Chronicles that you were about to read. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is it. Let's 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 get to this text because this is and I have seen Lee, and I know you have too, so many Christians use this passage as yep. a means to justify what they think America should look like. And, and I'll, you know, just right, right here, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This passage, second Chronicles seven fourteen. You'll see this on in yard signs, like everywhere. Billboards, I mean, I, oh, bumper billboards, stickers. You'll see oh, yeah. uh, memes. I mean, you know, I'm not on social media. I'm assuming you'll see it on there. I, I saw it when I was on there. on there. People will write articles about this, and this is like the de facto. Like this is it. This is the passage right here. And oh, we we need to get back if we just repent. If we just repent. And before we even get into the context here, my first question is always who. If someone was not a Christian and they were raised in a non-Christian environment, how can they repent? They they never they were never following God to begin with. And so who exactly if when someone quotes 2 Chronicles 7:14, who do they think needs to change? Do they need to change? And so it's it's just this weird application before we even understand the, the get into the context to see how uh, convoluted people have have made this passage in application. It's just it doesn't even make sense first and foremost. But let's look at this context because this verse may it, this may come as a shocker, but this has nothing to do with America. <laughs> it has, has nothing to do with America, and no, Kevin, it has everything to do with America. <laughs> and, and if we believe that it does in any way, shape, or form, it. I won't even say can lead to a distorted view of God, but I think it it will. I think that is going to be yes. the inevitable conclusion. And so, the first point, and we'll kind of 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 take you know take these different points, Lee, that we've discussed. But the first point is, in context, this passage is a promise made exclusively to the physical nation of Israel. And if you if you read the whole chapter, which 
once again, this is probably going to offend people. Let's just be honest here. How many people with those yard signs do you think can break down the context of Second Chronicles 7? If you were to just knock on their door and say, hey, I saw this sign in your yard. Could you explain to me the context of what's happening here in Second Chronicles chapter 7? I just want to make sure that we're on the same page here. More than likely, that sweet old lady um, or, you know, that, that, that good old, good old boy, they may or may not. And I'm going to fall into the camp of, I would put, if I'm a betting man, I would say probably they do not know what the context is. When was this passage said and why was it said? So the answer is this verse occurs right after Solomon dedicated the physical temple to God. And shortly after, there's this summation about the law and God reestablishes the promise he's made with Israel and then it's concluded with, okay, if you, Israel, as a nation, follow all of these commands that are laid out, and this is the next point I'll let you have, so I won't take away the thunder, but if you do these things, then physically I will bless you as a nation. That's the context. This is, this is that, like I said, that, that kind of reestablishment of God's law when the temple was, uh, was built, and God is reminding them, the text is reminding them of the promises God made all the way back in Deuteronomy 28, the, 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 prom, the blessings that will come upon you if you follow me as a nation, and the curses that will, that will also come upon you if you don't. This is what you need to do. Turn, you need to repent, you, if you're called by my, by my name, and you need to follow me, and I'm going to bless you. That's the context. Yeah, and whenever you look at it in those terms, well, it's it's very very clear. Now, is there application that we could take today from that? I think that there is. I think that we could say that as individuals whenever we follow God, if if we are pursuing him and we're pursuing Christ and we're pursuing a Christ-like life that in general over the course of our lives, we're going to realize a tremendous degree of blessings from that. That doesn't mean that our lives are going to be completely free of calamity, that they're going to be perfect, that we're going to go through life without facing any difficulty whatsoever. We still will have trials. We still will have troubles. We still will have things that knock us down a few pegs. But in the grand scheme of things, the Christian life in which we pursue Jesus and we seek to demonstrate the grace of God and the mercy of God in our own lives toward others if we do that and we live a life of love and service for others, there are huge blessings that'll come from that. And that's what serving God is. Yeah. You know, on that, hang all the law and the prophets on that. That's what it's all about. There's nothing more important than love. Paul says, yeah. all of those things are incredibly important. So that's the application, but expanding that out to a promise made to another nation, other than Israel to America made some, what? 3000 years later. After this was written, yeah, well, no, and that's I, a bit of the stretch. Well, and yeah, and I think even and and I and I and I see where you're going, and I understand and, and agree about what you're saying. If someone follows God and they they live out those Christian principles, I think naturally there's going to be um, positive a, a positive result that comes from that, right? But yeah, um, but that's that's a a very general application of this yeah, passage well, in and, the and, modern sense. Yeah, but. I'm sorry, I, I keep cutting you off. Go ahead. No, man. no, no, no. You're good. I was just going to say what what is so powerful about this passage and why it cannot be applied. I don't even really think in a principle sense. I think there are other principles we could derive saying that if if you know we learn to treat one another the way we want to be treated, that obviously that's gonna that's gonna 
that's going to result in a in a lot better life and a lot better nation than if if we don't live by that principle. But at the same time, many non Christians can still live by those principles and have a very happy life too, and be able to get along with people. But here in in this context, this actually is saying if you do what God says, God is going to physically intervene and He's yes. going to take care of you, even to the point where you're not going to be sick. You're not going to have to worry about food. You're not going to have to worry about any of these things. Your shoes aren't going to wear. I mean, all these different blessings are, that is exactly what it's talking about. And then if you don't do uh, these things, if you don't follow the law, if you don't follow these instructions that you've been given, then I will intervene and I will curse you. These horrible things will come upon you. So when someone takes that in 2 Chronicles 7 and they actually think that's the case, no wonder when things start happening to them that they don't like or they believe is bad. They blame God. Well, God must be cursing our nation. It's all these non-Christians' faults that come in here and they're taking our nation over and they're destroying America and they're going to end up uh, making God curse America even more so. And so exactly. those, those well, and, bl- Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, man, that's the point that I was getting to. Yeah. That promise that God made. It was a promise given to Israel within its context, even though there's application that we can take away from that in a general sense, Mm -hmm. that still doesn't dismiss the fact that this is a specific promise made to a specific nation in a specific time at a specific place. This is something that was over 3000 years ago. And, you know, one of the things that I I think you may have mentioned this when we were talking before is you can't take a promise that someone else made and make it apply to you. I can't look at my friend, little Billy over here, whose daddy tells him, if you get straight A's on your report card, I'll buy you a PlayStation five and think, well, Hey, I've got all A's on my report card. Billy's dad, are you going to buy me a PlayStation five? It's like, well, no, I didn't make that promise to you. it's It's the same idea here with Israel. And, and, you know, in that sense, we need to remember this context. It's speaking to Israel. We can't just make it apply to our nation and cherry pick it out of there. And another thing that this gets into as well is, you know, this is written here in Chronicles. This is a specific statement. And think about what happens to Israel after this occurs. And this may be something that, that we're going to get into later. I honestly don't know. This is, you know, these are notes that you put out there whenever I was sick and I didn't take time to, to take a look at this brother. But, we can cover whatever you want to cover, man. Hey, we'll do it. It's our show. We can do what it's we want. Podcast. That's the beauty of it. It's a podcast. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to. But, <laughs> we can talk about anything we want. I don't to, know where that man. came from, but in any case, the thing is, is that look at what happens to Israel in terms of a timeline after this is written, Israel, they disobey God, they're overthrown and they are subjugated. But the thing is, is their subjugation under, you know, the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Medo-Persians, none of that jives with the promise that God had given to Abraham and that God had given to David that they would be a nation forever, that they would live in the land forever. So as an ancient Israelite, they don't see the coming Messiah in the future. Maybe some of them did. Most of them didn't. And even if they did, we've talked on this podcast in previous episodes of how their understanding of who the Messiah would be, it, it was a complete misunderstanding of what the work of Jesus would actually come to bear, of, of yeah. what that work would manifest. And so you take this, this is out of Second Chronicles. And if you compare the books of Chronicles with the books of the Kings, and we've talked about this on this program before, you see a lot of discrepancies between those stories. And so 
Pete Enns has written a lot about this. Dr. Enns has some amazing work. He hosts a, a really good podcast called The Bible for Normal People. We've had Jared Bias on. He co-hosts that with, with Pete. It's a great podcast. You should check it out. Don't quit listening to ours. Keep listening to ours. But go listen to theirs too. You've got time. But he writes about the purpose of Chronicles is largely believed to be written after the exile. After the Babylonian exile has come to an end and Israel has returned to the land. And I know you, you already know this, but I'm telling this, you know, for our listeners, there's a lot in Chronicles where they're trying to make sense of them still being God's chosen people, but they don't live in the land. Yeah. So they're having to come to grips with that. That's why you see differences between what we see revealed in Chronicles and what we see in Kings. And what's interesting is, is if you look at the Hebrew Bible as it exists today, Chronicles is traditionally at the very end of the book. It doesn't come right after Samuel Kings. So that's another contextual layer to this. This is Israel trying to tell their story and make sense of the concept. How can we be God's chosen people if we're not experiencing the full <laughs> good of all the promises that God has given us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and it's it is it's trying to uh, rationalize. Okay, well, well, if we if we turn back, if we do the things we're supposed to do, then God is going to bless us. And those blessings, I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's it's pretty long. Yeah, but it's Deuteronomy chapter 28. And if you want to know what the specific blessings and curses are, they're they're explicitly laid out. And that that's directly tied into Second Chronicles chapter seven fourteen in this passage, that those who are saying that we need to uh, abide by Second Chronicles seven fourteen, well, well, look at what Deuteronomy chapter twenty eight says. Not only was this not written to us, this promise was not made to any other nation than the nation of physical Israel, but those explicit blessings and curses are there. You can see what that looks like, and. If, if we were to try to apply Second Chronicles, that's why I said it's so convoluted, because you know clearly if we're trying to apply Second Chronicles 7.14, then we would actually have to say, if we do what God commands, God's going, to, God's going to do all these things for us. And that is a view that some Christians take that I, I don't agree with. I don't think that God blessed America uh, upon, you know, okay, well, first of all, let's talk, you know, we can, well, I've got this in the notes, but I'll go ahead and, we were going to talk about this a little later. We can go ahead and jump right into it. I mean, look at how America was founded, first of all. And then if you look at the slavery in America, we're going to sit here saying that God like blessed us because our forefathers also had some, some good Christian beliefs. And I'm not trying to be a chronological snob. I understand that was the world in which they lived in at that time. But what I'm saying is this ends up with a lot of distorted beliefs when we say, oh, well, you know, I, I miss the good old days when, uh, you know, the good old days when black people couldn't even come worship with us at our church. I miss the good old days when women, um, you know, couldn't even vote. I miss, I miss they the good old their place. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I miss the good old days. That's when God was blessing this nation. Will you go talk to a black person and ask them if they feel like, uh, white people being racist against them, uh, meant that God was blessing America during that time. I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous, and I understand most most white people don't even think about that, but I think therein lies the major problem, because people want to get to a time back to, to a certain place that suited them. It was good for them. It worked for them, but they're not looking at the totality. 
They're looking at their own life, but what about other people's experiences? What did it look like for others? And so that's why it's so convoluted when we try to look at 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and then we tie in together Deuteronomy 28 and say, oh, well, God was blessing us back then. God was, was, was giving us what we wanted back then because we were following him, but today we're no longer following him, so he's cursing us. If you take a direct approach to 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and Deuteronomy 28, you have to believe that. And if you believe that, then that's going to imply that aren't that people were more godly, you know, back then. And the reality is people aren't more godly or were not more godly back then than they are today. The difference is, is that people uh, are dealing with different sins today. People are just dealing with different struggles. I mean, in, in our in our own day and time, we ourselves are a time period and there's going to be all sorts of things. People are going to look back at us and say, Man, can you believe Lee and Kevin, those idiots? Like, can you believe they had? I not- bet people are saying that now. So, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, people definitely aren't looking at, yeah, they're, they're, they're saying that now and they're definitely going to look back and say that. Yeah, can you believe them? You know, I mean, you know, they, they, they were so strict or they, you know, they were so, uh, you know, conservative. I, I, I don't even know if they were, they were worthy to be called Christians or whatever. And, you know, to us, we're like, no, we think we're open minded. We think that, that, that we're, you know, forward thinking for our day or whatever. And every generation, does. But the point is, is that that's not going back to the original idea, second Chronicles 7, 14, that's not what it's talking about. And that's not what it's dealing with. And, and here's why we can know that. And this brings us to the third kind of point within this. That's because these commands that they were supposed to keep are the old Testament laws. <laughs> yeah. These, these are the laws found in the Jewish text. And so if you were to once again ask most most Christians who like to use Second Chronicles 7:14 ask them if they are following the Mosaical law. And if they're not following the Mosaical law, then they're the problem according to Second Chronicles 7:14 and they need to <laughs> repent. They need to start offering animal sacrifices. They need to start going back to the temple. We need to we need to go back to the law. We need to start following all these different laws. We need to quit eating shellfish. We need to quit eating pork. And I tell you what, most Americans aren't going to like eating pork, but by golly, if God says we can't do it, we need to return back to the good old days and we need to no, follow Second Chronicles 7:14. That's ridiculous. And I know that's ridiculous. And you know that's ridiculous. And when we put it in those terms, it is nonsensical. But those are the commands. It's predicated on following the Mosaical law. So if you do not believe you are to follow the Mosaical law to the jot and tittle, then you cannot put a Second Chronicles 714 sign in your yard. In any sense, in any and sense. And ascribe it to America. And exactly. Ascri- yeah. Now, if, I'm not going to condemn you if you do. I'm going to say you're misguided in your understanding. Um, I'm not going to condemn you. But I, what I'm saying is, is that you're not sticking to the context if you're doing that. And and that's why even people say, well, but in principle, no. There, there's nothing in principle in Second Chronicles 7.14 that we can derive. Like I said, there are other verses that we can say, well, if, if you do follow... If you do follow principles of Christianity, if you are following God, then is it not the case that your life's probably going to be better? You're going to have a better perception of reality, that you're going to be able to love people? Absolutely. That's why that's why I'm so ecstatic about being a Christ a Christ follower now. Because prior I was more I was more interested in following all of these different doctrinal issues. And then I realized it's about following Jesus Christ. And that's made my life a whole lot better. But 
we can't use Second Chronicles seven fourteen to do that. And unfortunately, so many people have done that. And Lee, before we move on to the next point, is there anything you want to say about any of that? I, I, once again, man, I'm on a soapbox, and I even used the word shut up at the beginning of this episode. So I'm telling you what, man, I'm fired up. Like, you're fired <laughs> up. You're preaching. We got old preaching, Kevin coming baby. out. Preaching, right. man. Yeah, we may even have a, uh invitation song at the end of this That's episode. That's right. Come now while we stand and sing. And it's, not gonna, it's, not, and it's not going to be God bless America, you know? <laughs> well, here's, here's what's Even though hilarious. I want God to bless America, for sure. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and one of the things, though, that I think is really important and this is a wrinkle that I hadn't thought about until you just brought it up, is the idea that this is predicated upon following the Mosaic law. Like that's something that I hadn't thought about before. And basically what it means is if, if that is the case, and just like you said, if we are doing that, if we are keeping those commandments, whether it's, you know, the abstinence from engaging in or, or consuming shellfish and pork, et cetera, et cetera, um, not wearing any blended fibers, blended garments, or, which by the way, let me say, let me say this while I'm still, I haven't stepped, I've got one foot still on the soapbox. In in uh, the Levitical law, we see in you know in the Mosaical law, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, eating pork was considered an abomination. I heard somebody the other day say, "Oh, well, it doesn't matter if it's Old Testament or New Testament. If it's considered an abomination, you shouldn't do it." Mm-hmm. Really? And and, and 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 you know, I mean, this just goes back to show how we have trained ourselves as Americans, especially to cherry pick verses to just teach what suits you know, our, our current, uh, ideology at that time. And look, I'm not sitting here pointing the finger saying I've never done that. I'm, I made a career out of doing that unintentionally oh, yeah. for many years. And most people who are doing it today are doing it unintentionally, but the fact is they're still doing it. And so those things need to be pointed out. A lot of people don't realize it was an abomination to eat pork under the old covenant. Oh, absolutely. It was an abomination to eat that. And then, you know, we'll get up and preach about abominations and how God abhors various things that we call an abomination. And then won't you join us at the local catfish, all you can eat buffet where we're going to eat catfish, shrimp cocktail and, and loaded baked potatoes with bacon bits. sprinkled yeah, Porky's Pigstein, you know, we're going to be eating over there, but, uh, <laughs> well, and, and that's what we do though. But, but the problem is, is that, you know, kind of getting back on topic after a little bunny trail there is whenever we begin to do that, we begin to view it through that lens. It, it implies that if things are going well, then we're living right. If, if, if everything's going good in my life, if right now I'm on a, you know, a, a gravy train with biscuit wheels and everything's going just as good as it can be in my life right now, I've got money coming in. I have no cares or concerns. I've got a good nest egg saved up. My house is in good shape. My kids are in good health. I'm in good health. Well, that just, that must mean that I'm living the way God wants me to live. And then something happens. The economy tanks. We go through a recession. My house loses a bunch of value. Inflation goes up. You know, I don't get a raise in keeping with inflation. My wife gets sick. My kids have worms, whatever the case may be. We then begin to say, well, maybe I'm not living right. Or people say, oh, you're not living right. And I mean, that entire ideology, it's so funny how old of an idea that is and how ancient of a perspective that is and how it still perpetrates itself even today thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. I mean, that's, it's the same thing that happened in Job's case. It's the same thing that happened with Job here. You have Job every, he loses everything. And then his friends come to him and say, bro, you sin. You just ain't been living right. Yeah. That that's the same thing we say. 
man, I was doing great. And then I lost my job. I lost my house. I lost my wife. You know, she divorced me and left me for a kickboxing coach named Raul or whatever else. You know, we have all this stuff that happens to us and it must be, well, I'm just not living right. I'm not doing what God wants me to do, but it, it does though. I mean, does yeah, it not? Well, and especially when, when Raul comes in, I mean, just your whole, your whole life is, is it's pretty much in turmoil, but <laughs> But you, Sorry, but you man. see, no, no I, it's fine. I, I know I'm just kind of riffing it. I'm going no, off the cuff you, here. Man. I love but, it. And and no, it is. And that is, I think, one of the problems too with with viewing America as, as kind of being cursed by God right now because of, of non-believers or because of Christians who are not standing up for the truth. And what that's doing is it's actually trying to shift the blame and responsibility for one's own problems because they're saying, well, if everyone else was living the way they were supposed to, then I, I God wouldn't have cursed me like he's cursing me, which once again, doesn't even make sense. Not even within context, that doesn't even make sense. But it's it's shifting the blame almost that, well, when bad things are happening, well, that's that it's all the non-Christians fault in America. You know, yeah. when, 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 when everybody was a good Christian in America and owned a slave in America, God was certainly <laughs> blessing us and we were a wonderful country. But now... Now, for whatever reason, everyone's just turned their backs on God. Now, I haven't. I'm still faithful, and I'm still doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but nobody else is. And so because nobody else is, I'm the one that, that, that's, that's having a bad life. It's almost like a group project. People will view America as this big group project. And, well, I'm doing my work, but all these other Americans aren't doing their work, and so God's punishing me because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that is a... A, a truly a, an unchrist-like view, not just an unbiblical view. It's an unchrist-like view. So it's transactional. Jesus, yeah. Well, Jesus addressed this. So yeah. there, as you pointed out, there was this view that when things were going your way, that meant that meant that God was blessing you, and when things were not going your way, that meant that you must have angered God. And that's not just in Israel. That's not unique to Israel. That was the belief of pretty much all ancient Near Eastern people groups and really the world over at that time is that they believed when they had rain and uh, their crops were being watered and the sun was coming out when it was supposed to and that there were no famines, God was there. Whoever God you believed in, your God was, was taking care of you. But what happened when there was a period of time when there was no rain? Or what happened when there was a period of time where there was so much rain that it ended up killing crops? Then that must mean that you are ups- that that you have upset the gods, that you've angered the gods, and that belief was actually, I believe. Well, I don't believe. I mean, we do see this in scripture. It's it's demonstrably true that Israelites were also influenced by that belief. But Jesus corrects that whole understanding. We see that in John 9, 2 through 3, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, especially going back to the first one, John 9, there was a man who was blind. Well, who sinned, his, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, you don't understand. Same thing with Luke 13, 1 through 3. Well, are they worse sinners? Is this is why bad things happen to them? And a lot of time fell on them. They were yeah. worse than everyone else. And, and Jesus <laughs> even corrected this in Matthew 5, 45. He said, um, Jehovah God, the true God, he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What Jesus is saying is that when things are going good in your life, that is not necessarily a reflection that God is with you. And when things are going bad in your life, that is not a reflection that God is cursing you. 
even though that's what you have believed for all these years, that's simply not true. Now, getting back to the principal idea, this isn't to say that people are not going to naturally experience curses, the consequences if you will, of their the, actions, yeah, yeah. and sickness. You know, if I if I eat garbage every day for forty years, then I'm probably going to have some health problems. That's just a natural consequence. If I treat people really, really bad and I'm always a jerk to people and I'm mean to people and I'm constantly cutting people off in traffic. And Lee, I'm not talking about you. Um, and if, if I do all these, you know, if, if I, if I, if, if I'm, if I'm mean to my wife, if I'm mean to my children, if I don't treat the people I deal with on a daily basis in a kind way, naturally that's going to come back to bite me. You know, I'm in sales, so if I'm not treating people in a Christ-like way or even in a kind way for that matter, which treating people kindly is in a Christ-like way, then that's going to hurt my sales. That's going to hurt that's going to hurt my business. If I don't treat my wife the way that with with honor and respect and love, then that's going to make a pretty difficult life for me if I don't do that. So there's going to be natural consequences both positive and negative when we live out certain lifestyles. But Jesus pointed out that doesn't mean that that's a reflection of God divinely intervening and blessing one person over another. Um, you know, if that's the case, I've brought this up before. I mean, my sister died in a car wreck when she was 17 years old and I was almost 14. I, I heard people that night while she was lying there at the hospital dying saying, well, we've got a lot of people praying. God's going to hear, you know, hear her prayer. God's going to answer if we just have enough people praying. And then she died. And, and my thoughts were, yeah. well, did we not have enough people praying? Maybe I needed to, you know, maybe if we had Facebook back in the day, I could have asked more people to pray. And if more people would have prayed, maybe God would have done something. Maybe, I don't know, maybe she did something to deserve this. Maybe my mom and dad did something to deserve this. Maybe I, I don't know. I don't know. And as a kid, that was super confusing because you hear what people are saying. But then you realize the reason why she was laying there in that hospital room, why she died that next morning is because her tire blew. That's that's it. That it just happened. It wasn't even wasn't even something that somebody did one way or the other. It was just it, it just happened. Things happen in life, and that's what Jesus was saying. Don't that doesn't mean God's not intervening in our lives. But Jesus said, don't try to attach everything to to God either cursing you or blessing you because that's not how God works. That's not how Christianity works according to Jesus Christ. And so it's just very important to understand that this whole framework of 2 Chronicles 7:14 it, it falls apart at the seams. I mean there's 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 no justification for trying to utilize this passage and enforcing that on other Christians much less on non-Christians. Well, I I'm looking up another passage cuz I have another one I want to run by. It's another one that yeah. I've heard Proverbs 14:34 yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, well, first of all, I just want to dovetail off of what you just said. Good people get sick. I mean, I was sick not long ago and it was awful. I mean, and that was just a temporary 12 hour bug. It was awful. But in the midst of that, I suffered mightily. There are lots of people who suffer far worse than I did at that point who are very good people. There are bad people that are independently wealthy. There are bad people that have their health and keep their health and live to a ripe old age. So to say that God is some in, in the transaction business of rewarding you yeah. based on your fealty to him with good health or wealth or whatever else, it's a misnomer. But what about Proverbs 1434? Yeah. So um, I'm glad you brought, did you see that in my notes or were you really just thinking about it? 
really just thinking, I just scrolled down and saw that it's on the next yeah. page. So I'm like, dude, that's perfect timing, man. So yeah, so Proverbs 1434 is another one. It's just, it's a proverb, obviously. It's in the book of Proverbs. It says righteousness exalts a nation. And so people use this as that kind of that principle we've been talking about to say, yeah, Kevin, I understand that we're not... God's chosen people in America that, you know, there's Christians and there's non-Christians and that anyone can be a Christian regardless of where they live. But is it not the case that if we are righteous, if we have laws that are righteous, that God is is going to bless us more? I mean, is that not what Proverbs 14.34 talks about? So it, to answer that in short, no, that's not what Proverbs 14.34 is talking about. It's not talking about how God's going to do anything as far as divinely intervening. It's just laying forth a truth that when a group of people act in a righteous way, it is going to exalt that nation. Now, this is going to be one of those statements again that's going to offend people. What is righteousness in the yeah. Old Testament? How is righteousness defined? Now, if <laughs> we tend to think of when we talk about righteousness is, is our correct doctrinal belief system. <laughs> so people will say, oh, well, righteousness is, you know, not drinking. You know, righteousness is abstaining from alcohol. And if we have more counties that were uh, that were dry, God would be exalting us. You know, I mean, we, we we hear these types of things all the time. I used to say this type of garbage, man, and it is. It's and once again, I want to be careful. I want to be careful. I'm not trying to to be antagonistic because I'm preaching of anybody to myself because I used to use these passages like this. But that's not what this is talking about. The Bible isn't saying if you have a dry county, your your city's going to be more exalted than than the one that allows alcohol. Or if you're opposed to gambling and you're not going to allow gambling in your state, then that God somehow is going to bless your 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 state more. Um, that's not what this is talking about. When we look at the idea of righteousness, how is that defined in in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament? But if to keep it in context, here's what that looked like is accepting the foreigner. Oh boy. Oh wait, we uh, nope, nope, let's not talk about proverbs anymore, Kevin, right? Okay, now now we're getting too much into into things that we don't think are right considered righteousness. You look at how the laws were incorporated about taking care of the foreigner, how you were to invite them in, how you were to treat them, how you were to go about providing for people, how you were to make sure that there were an, there was enough food for people to eat. That even if you had a better job than somebody else, that part of righteousness is sharing with those that don't have as much, not condemning them because you think that they should be working as hard as you do. Those are the types of things that we see in the Old Testament as defined by righteousness. Now, yes, we could say all of God's law is considered righteous in the Old Testament. No doubt about that. But when we see it attached to a nation, we look at the laws of how Israel governed and we see the type of laws that can that, that made them righteous. They even had laws pertaining to their crops to make sure that they had enough food growing and even to uh, provide part of their crops so that people could come in and eat those crops to eat those food. They didn't say, well, these this is, you know, this is this is my my garden. Don't tread on me. Don't be coming in here stealing my tomatoes. No, the law was, hey, you need to allow those who don't have to come in and to partake of of your bounty that you do have. That's the type of righteousness that we see. So when we even do start talking about, well, what does righteousness look like on a national level? It can't look like every doctrinal belief that I hold, 
Because in in doing so, that would mean that everyone would have to basically be at the whim, whoever's the president at that time, whatever they believe, if he could get it passed or she could get it passed, then we would have to abide. So if we had a, you know, someone in there who was a Mormon and they said, well, it's a sin to have any other religion other than Mormonism, we would fight against that and say that's not right. But when we turn around and tell people, well, we're upset that, you know, there's not more Christians. Well, America's built upon truly freedom of religion. And while it has always favored Christianity, as I said earlier at the beginning of this episode, because it has predominantly been a Christian culture, now that it's no longer favoring Christianity as much as we would like it to in the laws and the benefits that Christians once received, that maybe we're not as much or we feel like we're not as much, then what, what about accepting Muslims into America? Is that okay? I mean, I hear sermons all. Oh, we, you know, I mean, we got to do something about Islam. We've got to do something about all these, all these Muslims coming into America, where the majority are peaceful. And when you, when you look at this, that's that's true freedom of religion. So we're never going to be able to have any. There, no nation will ever be able to survive with this idea that everyone has to view things exactly the way that the leaders do. That's just not going to happen. Oh, go ahead, Lee. I'm sorry. Well, no, I'm just to dovetail off what you're saying, though. I mean, really what it boils down to is this perspective of the, the focus, instead of being on loving my neighbor as myself and loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength and demonstrating mm-hmm. that love for God through my love for my neighbor, the focus is on me and that individualism lies at the root of what that issue is, or that's one of the issues that's, that's there. You have these, these Muslims coming in, we have to do something about the Muslims. And I've heard that statement made before. And my question is, well, what do you propose we do about it? Yeah. You know, in your mind, what is something we are supposed to do about that? Are we supposed to make it illegal for anyone from (laughs) any one of those countries to enter here? Yeah. And that's not to say I'm not against vetting everybody that comes to America. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what gender they are. I don't care what faith they are. Let's vet everybody to the best of our ability so we don't let dangerous people into the country. But the problem is, is that the idea that all Muslims are dangerous is conflated with that idea. Yeah, that's the there's problem. A, there's enough dangerous there's people a huge difference here, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. Yeah, yes, there are plenty of dangerous people that are not Muslims. <laughs> but but the point is, is that the problem is, is that this is offensive to me. Their belief system is offensive to me, right? Because yeah. their belief system is offensive to me. I don't want that kind of person here. There goes the neighborhood. The mm-hmm. issue is, is that I'm looking at myself more than I'm looking at the foreigner. I'm looking at my myself more than I'm looking at my neighbor. I don't want my rights infringed upon. I don't want my freedoms eroded for the sake of loving somebody else. A good example of this would be gay marriage. And yeah. I mean, maybe you don't want to open this can of worms, but I'm going to open it. Like we said before, hey, it's our we show. Go, we can, we, do what we, we want. can open up any can we want to, right? Any can we want to, but this idea about gay marriage, whether someone agrees or disagrees with it, If I sit here and I say that we can't have the gays marrying because that somehow destroys the sanctity of marriage. Okay, well, let's think about that for a minute. How many millions and millions of adulterous divorces have taken place? How does that not erode the sanctity of marriage? Well, then in that case, if I belong to the no exception group within the churches of Christ, does that mean we just need to outlaw and ban divorce across the board? 
Well, okay then. So now we're going to leave children and women and maybe some men too in abusive relationships where they're getting the crap beat out of them every night. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a good and righteous, noble thing. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) But somehow letting two dudes or two ladies decide that they want to get married. Oh, that's an affront to freedom. I'm so offended by that. Well, why does that offend me so much? How does that erode my freedom? And well, bear and, in mind, I, it's 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 yeah. one of those things. It's and, just it's it's mind blowing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, and here's and here's how people, because uh, this is what I used to do. This is this is the argument that's made. Is well, yeah, Lee, but th- that that is wrong because. Uh, you know, that that is something and I'm speaking from from a different perspective, but they would say, yes, but that's not what God wants. And the more we allow that in, the more God is going to curse our country. So that goes back. It dovetails in with that to, presupposition to that, to that convoluted application of Second Chronicles 714, that misguided application and interpretation of that. We feel like that's going to somehow like hurt us. Oh, well, if if there's gay marriage, then God's going to punish me. For allowing gay marriage, um, you know, and, and that's even under the umbrella of those who, you know, believing it's wrong. But even with that assumption, that that is usually the argument that's made is, well, and, and it does. It goes back to protecting myself. Like, I don't want to be persecuted um, for your sin. And I believe God's going to punish all of us if you misbehave. So you need to repent and do what I want you to. So God will bless me. And and, and that is interesting um, one of the things I wanted to bring up, just so I'm not leaving people in the dark or letting people think that I'm just making stuff up um, and, and pulling it out of thin air, um, when you look at the Old Testament especially, and you see this within the teachings of Jesus as well, but in the Old Testament, whenever the Bible talks about righteousness in association with a nation, it, there's usually the mar- uh, the uh, marginalized are, are spoken of. And when people are like, well, yeah, but what what exactly are the marginalized? And here's the traditional list given, given in Scripture over and over again. It's usually listed as the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. Those, those four groups of people, nation, the nation of Israel was to always make sure righteousness included taking care of those four groups of people. So the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. And I'm not trying to get political because I'm, I'll just tell you, I'm independent. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. And I know you're, um, you're a, a, I was going to say egalitarian, a libertarian. Well, that so, too, but whatever. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not trying to take sides by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and in fact, there's problems no matter what, what way you go. Okay. There's issues everywhere. I, I, I'm not on yeah. anybody's bandwagon political. I'm just going to tell you that right now, but I will say I don't, I, there's a lot of policies. I don't know what I would do. You know, people ask me, well, what would you do then? You know, do you think you should, I said, I don't know. And I purposefully am not putting myself in that position. I don't know, but it's the attitude that is typically reflected behind a lot of these people pushing uh, or a lot of these policies that people are pushing. It's the attitude. I don't, you know, it would, it would I no, I don't have a solution to all the poor people. You know, like I can't feed every time I see a poor person, I can't give them money. I wouldn't have any myself. I don't believe we should just say, hey, anybody, no matter what, who wants to come to America, let's just not allow any vetting processes and anything can happen and anything goes. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, you know, we're all obligated to go out and, and adopt orphans or or make sure that we're visiting a widow every day. So I'm not sitting here saying I have all the solutions, okay? But what I am saying is when we have an attitude against the poor, 
against the widow, against the orphan, and against the foreigner. And typically the widow and the orphan, people don't tend to have really bad attitudes. We just don't really think of protecting them. And, you know, when you sometimes there are programs, social programs in place to take care of them. And so I guess by default, when when people have attitudes against certain programs, we are in a way not taking into account how are we going to take care of the widow? How are we going to take care of the orphan? But thinking of the, the foreigner and the poor, especially those are the groups that in the Old Testament, time and time again, scripture reference after scripture reference, they were to be taken care of. We were they make sure that you are you are providing for them. And the attitudes, the attitude behind how people talk about the foreign people who who are not Americans, people who are are poor. Man, it's disgusting. It's horrible. And then to hear that not only are these people Christian or claiming to be Christian, but they're claiming that the reason why they believe the way they believe is because of the Bible is disturbing. It's disturbing when you realize that the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner, that's usually the list given when talking about taking care of the marginalized and showing righteousness and and, and justice. You know, we think of justice as something that is uh, more more like a in retribution. Yes, instead of restorative justice. Well, when the Bible speaks of justice, it's talking about restorative justice. It's not talking about, well, okay, they hurt us. Well, we're going to hurt them twice as much. It's okay. Well, somebody hurt somebody. Well, let's see if there's a way in which that 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 we can take care of the situation, and let's make sure that we're doing the best we can to restore people back to to a place of that that's healthy for them, that's healthy for those around them. I'm not saying there's not consequences. Of course, there are, but uh, I'm just saying that we tend to miss what it looks like for a nation to be righteous, because it doesn't mean they're, as you pointed out, they're going to have all these, what we would call doctrinal issues in legislation. It's speaking more of a, of a general outline of framework. Well, okay, if you want to have a profitable nation, if you want to have a good nation, make sure you're taking care of the poor. Let's make sure we're taking care of the widow, the orphan, the foreigner. Let's make sure these things are in place first and foremost, because otherwise, if we're not doing that, we will be destroyed from the inside out. Well, let's, I mean, all of that, dude, it ties back to that individualism. Yeah. Yeah. That toxic individualism, because I'll, I don't mind saying I value my individuality. Oh, I do I too, value, man. Yeah. I mean, we do. Yeah. So, you know, we're not decrying that we're not demonizing. Brother, that. I'm a, I'm a but, result of my individualistic culture. You know, yeah. I mean, I really am. I, I have my own business. I mean, I like doing my own thing. I'm, <laughs> yeah. Well, and same here. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I run my own business. I yeah. have my family. We home, you know, all of these decisions I made, they're all, I mean, I have the ability to do that and I'm thankful to, that I can do that. And that is all, like you said, a product of being born and bred and raised in America. It's a wonderful thing. The problem is, is when our individualism becomes a toxic individualism, where we become so focused on ourselves, we lose sight of the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the foreigner. That's the issue. Whenever we are afraid that taking care of them somehow erodes my freedom Mm -hmm. or taking care of the poor, why should I have to worry about if the poor has anything to eat or drink, they can go get themselves a job. Yeah. And they can, you know, earn their own money and make their own way, pull themselves up by their bootstraps. 
And I like to think that a lot of my success has been because I've been able to pull myself up by my bootstraps in those times. But here's the thing. I had a whole lot of other sets of hands helping me pull myself up by those bootstraps whenever I was down and out. And whenever you look at Christianity, especially I I think about Acts, I think about whenever the church was first established and what they did, they held all things in common. Now they weren't communistic in political terms, but they had community with one another. It was a communal collective endeavor. It was a collective effort. And we miss that. Yeah. I think about, I think about when Paul, whenever he was in prison, he didn't complain about how his freedom was taken away. He rejoiced that he had another opportunity to present the gospel. Is that the attitude that I would have whenever I see someone that's (laughs) poor and in need? And I mean, am I thinking that dirty bum, instead of standing there holding a, a tin cup and a cardboard sign, he needs to go to work and get himself a job, either flipping burgers or, or changing oil or something like that so that he can make his own money. I'm not going to give that to him. Or if I see someone who maybe I don't perceive that they've done the same amount of work that I've doing, am I jealous of them? Do I see that? giving that person a hand up or even a handout if that's what they need. How does that erode my freedom? How does that take away from my freedom? Mm -hmm. It doesn't, but, but that's the view that so many people have. Yeah. Well, everything is mine. It's mine, 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 mine. And look, I'm not going to sit here and act like, you know, I'm so much better than everybody and I'm, I'm just give to everybody because I like my things and I like my stuff and I like my time. And, you know, all of these things are, like I said, I'm a product of my culture. I mean, we all are, but I have had to take steps back. And as you pointed out, you know, I, there's all sorts of programs people can debate about what's good, what's bad. And, you know, what should we do? What's good for some people is always going to be bad for somebody else and vice versa. I mean, that's why I would never want to be in politics. I couldn't even preach for a church for goodness sakes, because you're trying to make too many people happy. Can't imagine, (laughs) you know, that's all people with the same overall beliefs and doctrinal conditioning. And, but when, when you're, when you're looking at all these different programs, people are always going to disagree. But I was talking to someone the other day and he was upset about, you know, different social programs. Well, people just went out here and got a job. You know, right now anybody can get a job. You can you'll you'll drive down the street and anybody can get a job anywhere. I mean, all, every place has a sign that says they're hiring from from McDonald's to Lowe's to, to to large corporations. Anybody can get a job right now. If you don't have a job, that's your own fault. And I said, well, you know, have you thought there may be people right now who are on the streets and, and they're dealing with mental illness? Or maybe they have never been, uh, you know, maybe they don't have a place to take a shower to go and interview for a job. And so because of that, in order to work at several places, you have to be willing to have a fresh set of clothes and shower. And they may not be and an address to that. Yeah, an address. Yeah. And uh, have you thought about those things? He said, well, no, I've, I've really never thought of that before. I said, yes, there are people who take advantage of, of systems. Always, always have been, always will be. But that doesn't take away our responsibility to make sure we're trying to understand people's circumstances and still helping out. You know, Jesus, when it comes to giving, I heard this statement and I love this statement. And I think it does reflect a Christocentric understanding. They said that people tend to be afraid to give to those in need because they don't want to be taken advantage of. And he said, well, I propose if you're not getting taken advantage of, you're not giving enough. (laughs) And I just thought that was a really good point um, because I don't know, man, it's just I just I just think that the whole idea of this individualism is something that 
it's 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 dangerous in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm thankful for it, and then there's a lot of positives. Don't get me wrong. I think there's also a lot of positives that come from that. But there's also a lot of negatives where we're not really thinking of the other person. We're only thinking about ourselves. And and you were talking about you like to think a lot of your success is attributed to what you've done. And I'm the same way. I, I I'm proud, man. I'm I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny it. I'm proud that I've been able to uh, to run a business and that we're in our seventh year. But guess what? If it wasn't for Bethany, we would we wouldn't still be having this business. There were times I just I just wanted to give up, and she's because I'm an yeah. impatient person. She goes, "No, you know, I'll take care of this." And 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 thankfully, we were able to get the business to a point of where it's at now. But if it wasn't for her, this business wouldn't be here. But even far beyond us, both both me and Bethany came from from good backgrounds where we both were able to have opportunities that a lot of people weren't able to have. We were able to have training that a lot of people didn't have. We were able to go to school, to different schools, and have higher education that a lot of people weren't able to have. That had nothing to do with me. That had everything to do with, with my parents. And and we can trace it back to their parents. I mean, you we can keep going back to see how, yes, a lot of my success and a lot of your success is because of what we did. But it's also a lot because of what other people did for us well before we were even born and while we were young and well before we started our business. No, and that's true. And it's the same thing with us and our experience. I mean, if it weren't with Kim, I probably wouldn't even be alive. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, I've, I've recounted on this podcast the mental health struggles that I have had and still occasionally have from time to time. I mean, it's so much better than what it used to be. But you know, whenever I was in the midst of all of that struggle to try to get the business off the ground where I'm trying to decide, do I want to put buy gas to, you know, do I want to spend the money to put gas in my car or spend the money to renew my tag? Cause I can't afford to do both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, whenever, whenever I'm in that state and I'm thinking to myself, I've spent all of this time and all of this money and all of this effort and energy to achieve this level of education. I'm supposed to be able to do this much with it. And here I am, you know, just, you know, languishing in a sea of debt and, you know, struggling to make ends meet. And I'm, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to eat in a week, you know, that's you, you think about that, pull yourself up by the bootstraps mindset. And it really reveals the apathy that I have had in the past towards other people and the apathy that many people who purport to be Christians have towards people that were in that state that I was in. Yeah. Yeah. And that apathy, it, it is a problem because the American way is, is you get out there, you do work and with enough hard work and determination, you're going to make something of yourself. And I believe that's largely true. I think that there is a lot of truth to that, but there are plenty of other people that have worked hard mm-hmm. that have, you know, poured their blood, sweat and tears into something just to have it all fall apart on them to, to not really achieve any degree of success at all within that. Yeah. And it's, it's sad because most people feel like they're alone. I felt like I was alone in that state. Yeah. And I think the reason why they do is because largely this type of attitude that breeds this ultra nationalism is an attitude that emerges from, from apathy. Mm -hmm. You just don't care about someone else because they're not working hard enough to get to where they are. But Jesus, he shows a different way forward. Jesus was not apathetic to the widow or the orphan or the poor or the foreigner. I mean, his most famous parable is one that we've, you know, done a deep dive into that of the good Samaritan. That's about a foreigner. 
Jesus, he teaches another way forward. He teaches that we're blessed whenever we mourn. We're told to weep with those who weep. Jesus, he was moved with compassion during his life. And anytime he came into contact with those that were less fortunate, anytime he came into contact with the beggars and his, the, the, the ne'er-do-wells of his day, those, those people that were untouchable, you might call them, he showed them love. Yeah. He showed yeah. them compassion. He showed them mercy. He humanized those people that were dehumanized by society. And that's the kind of attitude we're supposed to have towards others. Well, that, you know, we've been going to the Episcopal church and, uh, yeah, yeah. And and it's scandalous. We're going to have to have Tom back on here. Um, now that hopefully we'll be able to, to work all the, all the, uh, technical technical difficulties out that, yeah, yeah, that we had the first time. But one of the, one of the things that really attracted us to them, many things, but is just how much they give to the community and how much they help the poor and how much they take care of those in need, especially in comparison with any other church I've been at. I mean, there is no comparison and they're even looking for ways to do more. They, they provide food, uh, one meal a day, Monday through Friday, uh, every, every time. I mean, like every Monday through Friday, they provide, they provide a lunch every single weekday. They also provide a big breakfast once a month, and then they have a few other different, um, just different things that they do throughout the year that are special events. But it's something that is, it is a continuation, and they still talk about how they don't feel like they do enough, and they've talked to other churches and work with other churches as well. And there are so many different churches just here in this community that I live in that if, if each church just decided that once a month, they were going to provide one meal to the community just once a month and one meal once a month, there would be more than enough food for, for any of the homeless to eat. I mean, there would be so much more that they would be able to, I mean, I mean, they couldn't even begin to eat. It would be like Jesus feeding uh, the 5,000. There'd be so much left over and that's just one meal, one time a month. And yet we have so many people who are, who are starving, who are hungry and who who are who don't have enough food to eat and you you think about people who knock these social programs who are trying to make sure that people have food to eat and places to stay and and if they do have a home that they have enough money to to pay for that house if for whatever reason they can't do to physical or mental issues or whatever it might be and if the church was doing what it was supposed to be doing then we wouldn't be having these problems. If the church was actually getting out in the community, taking care of the homeless, taking care of the orphans, taking care of the widows, we wouldn't have to rely on the government. (laughs) There there would be be those discussions because the church would be doing what it's supposed to be doing. But when we have these views that hinder us from helping people because, oh, well, if they really, you know, Bible says to be wise, and I don't think it's wise to give my money to people or to give free food to people if they could, go, you know, go out and be working. Well, how many of those people do we actually know? How many of those people have we actually sat down to talk with to hear their story and to personally help? And I wanted to read this quote by uh, by Lois um, Teverberg. She is a scholar, and she said she's talking about the whole idea of individualism versus uh, collective societies. And it says, we're used to government being by the people for the people. And we place a strong emphasis on individualism and independence. 
We define ourselves in terms of our rights and freedoms. But by contrast, what defined early Christians were relationships and what orders your life or your responsibility to others, not your personal freedom to do what you like. When they came to arrest Jesus, Peter responded by wanting to fight uh, the authorities. Perhaps we would have responded in a similar way by saying things such as, over my dead body, don't tread on me, come get some. However, Jesus reminded Peter that he was that he was thinking carnally, not spiritually. Jesus taught that his kingdom was not of this world, and Paul knew his citizenship was in heaven. Following the individualistic ideology of America will leave one selfish, but following Jesus leaves one selfless. And this is such a powerful statement because that's really what it comes down to, is are we thinking of other people? Are we especially thinking of the vulnerable? Why do you think the orphan, the widow, the poor, and the foreigner are always emphasized throughout Scripture, and even in an in a nationalistic sense in the Old Testament. Why is that? It's because these are people who cannot help themselves. They're defenseless. They need somebody to help them. When I say defenseless, I don't mean that emotionally or anything like that. Some may be, but I'm saying that they 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 don't have people in their corner, and God wants to make sure that there are people in their corner. And so, as Christians. We should be concerned about looking looking out for not just our interests, but also the interest of others. But there's a couple other points very carefully as we wrap up here that if we're not careful, we can become more American than Christian. And that is Lee apathy. You know, this is this is a saying that I've heard a lot of people say, and I've said it again. I am putting myself in the sin box as well. So I'm not just pointing my finger, but I've, I've said the problem. That's that's not my problem. I've said that statement before. Well, that's not my problem. That's your problem. Yeah. And that leads to that apathy. And we've already touched on this a little bit. But, you know, Jesus teaches a completely different way. Jesus says that we should mourn with those who mourn. Don't say, well, hey, those aren't my tears. That's not my issue. Sorry. No, we're to have that apathy for one another. And uh, you mean uh, that empathy. 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 For what one did another. I say? Apathy. Oh, my goodness. Apathy. Yeah. empathy. That's yes. what we're supposed empathy. to have. Yeah. Empathy. You, yes, 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 yes. Let's correct that. Empathy. Or yes, we need to have empathy. Um, because um, living in America, we can we can have apathy for other people if we're not careful. And instead, we need to have that empathy to be able to try to hear people's stories, try to know what they're going through. Um, you know, I, we've talked a little bit about racism on this program, and unfortunately, I've met far too many Christians who are still racist, some of which are very overtly racist and will tell you flat out they are. And others, they'll they'll just say, well, they don't understand. And I said, well, how many times have you went and talked to a black person to hear their story? How many black people are you friends with? How many how many times have you reached out to try to learn more? That's how you're going to gain empathy. But as long as we stand you know, no pun intended, six feet from each other. <laughs> and, and and we make sure that we're not talking to one another. We're making sure that we're ignoring people. We're making sure that, you know, they're not in my circle at church or they're not in my, perhaps even at my church. They're not in my circle of friends or whatever. We're never going to get to know that person. We're yeah. never going to really get to hear their experiences. And instead of instead of trying to separate ourselves from people who are different than us, we need to invite them in. We need yeah. to hear their story. And, and, and by the way, when we hear their story, they'll be able to hear our story. We can hear one another's story. We can learn. We can grow. And we'll be able, instead of this false dichotomy we've created and like two ships passing in the night, 
in all these debates and these shouting matches that people are just completely missing each other, we'll finally be able to sit down and have a, a profitable, fruitful conversation and perhaps gain some empathy for one another instead of that apathy that oftentimes just dominates our churches in America. And, you know, I, same thing with, 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 I mean, we were talking about uh, gay marriage earlier. You know, I was talking to someone, they're like, well, I just don't understand that. Or I don't, I don't understand how somebody could be gay. You know, I don't know about that whole, they were born gay thing. I'm just not sure about that. I said, how many gay people are you friends with? They said, none. I said, well, how many gay people have you actually had a conversation with? None. And I said, do you feel like you can really speak to that situation then? And, and, and I said, when you had literally no experience, I said, I'm not saying you have to agree with everything. But if you say that you don't understand, then you need to go get educated so you do understand. And that's one of the problems when I hear people say, well, I don't understand. You need to, you need to get to that point where you can understand people. Once again, it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything a diff- another person says that has different views than you do. But empathy will help you to understand their, their side. It will help you to understand their life. And, you know, it's... it's Christians gave of their means so that no one lacked. Christians were there emotionally, physically, spiritually. And Lee, I'm going to tell you something, man. I've struggled with this a lot because and when I started when I started changing, I, this this is uh, one of my kind of hot buttons now because I saw that really so many churches are not doing these things. We're 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 not only failing to do it, we're the ones who are actually oppressing people. And that's what's so sad about it, man. Yeah, whenever we have become the perpetrators that Jesus decried, that's a hard pill to swallow whenever we see that play out, we come to that realization. I know and I don't rem- I don't really remember if I mentioned this cuz it's been almost 2 years ago that I recorded that solo episode, but one of the big epiphanies that I had in this spiritual journey was realizing that I had been the Pharisee for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I've been the the Pharisee. I'm the villain. (laughs) I've been the villain here. Yeah. And whenever you come to that point where you realize that that's the case, man, that's, that's a scary thing. That's a scary place to be. And it can be really, really hard to deal with, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's what I had done. I had, basically looked at anybody that was Baptist or Methodist or Episcopal. Sorry. I had, I had looked at anyone that didn't share a lot of my doctrinal positions as being less than. Yeah. And in terms of ultranationalism, that's really what that mentality does to us as well is we tend to look down upon those that don't share our same patriotic ideals, whatever those patriotic ideals are in your mind. I know the way that that I view patriotism is going to be whole wholly different than the way someone who is more ultra nationalist is going to view patriotism. Yeah. It it makes it a lot easier to otherize and and to denigrate people that are of a different nationality or of a different faith or sure. of a different yeah. race in a lot of times. We see that the case. In in the scriptures you have the poor, the orphan, the widow and the foreigner. I would ask the question, you know, those are the people that would tend to be dehumanized or they would be invisible in a lot of social contexts. Who are the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner in our context? And of course, those same people are going to fall into those categories. But wouldn't that also include in, in a general sense, the homosexuals? 
Wouldn't that also include those that are transgendered? Couldn't that also include those that are Muslim, as you've discussed on this episode as well? I mean, couldn't that also include, you know, Hispanics in some circles, blacks in some circles? I would, I would say that it very well could. Mm -hmm. I would say that these marginalized people are in a general sense what scripture has in mind when the Bible speaks of those that need someone to stand up for them. Yeah. And if we take an ultra nationalist position in which we exalt our Americanism above everything else, so often, not always, but so often those attitudes fall and go hand in hand with the marginalization of anybody that is not like me. Yeah. Whether that's white supremacy or even black supremacy or extreme feminism, whatever the case may be, all of those attitudes, they're essentially the same attitude and they all go together like a hand in a glove. Yeah. Any, any attitude that tries to elevate uh, one group of people over another, as you pointed out, whether it is misogyny or whether it's extreme feminism that, you know, uh, gets so far to the other side that that men are just horrible people um, in, in, on all sides. And, and Lee, that's something that we do try to pride ourselves on in this program. We both have have what I call regular jobs. We don't work for any church. We don't work for any Christian institutions. Um, we are, we, this podcast is independent. (laughs) There's that individualism again, but for lack of better words, we are, um, pretty much free to say whatever we want to, not just because we live in America, but because of our status right now in the sense that we have our own businesses. We're not afraid of that. We're not trying to, to, to say, well, we've got to, we've got to stay between the lines on this issue or that issue. We're willing to look at things and say, hey, that's wrong, too. That's wrong, too. Just because it may fall on something that I think is more on on my way of thinking, if it if it goes too far where I think it begins to no longer be Christocentric, I'm not going to follow it, regardless of yeah. what it is. And this isn't a matter of saying let's be either conservative or liberal or progressive. or. Tra- I, I mean, I understand we have to use those terms. I use those terms to describe things, even though now those are so subjective terms, it's hard to, to really use them without spending <laughs> yeah. 20 minutes explaining what you're talking about because everybody understands them differently. But you know, there's issues on the progressive side, on the traditional side, conservative side, liberal side, moderate side, and, and on all sides, there's issues with me and Lee. I mean, it's everywhere. But the point is, we need to try to do our best, not just to stick to, you know, oh, well, I'm on this side of the issue. We've got to be willing to, to, to be Christ followers. And whatever that looks like, I don't care if it falls on the Democrat side or the Republican side, the independent side. Um, you know, I, I, I don't care or if it, if it falls into no political side, you know, I don't, it doesn't really matter. Um, it's one of those things that we have to be willing to, to be like Christ the best that we can. And you're talking about the dehumanization of others. You know, while obviously it's no longer the case, things have changed. It was once the case that enslaved uh, blacks in a state were counted as three-fifths of the number of white inhabitants of that state. And, you know, while the the horrors of 19th century slavery are behind us, the influence is not. The influence is still here. Statistically, even today, institutionalized Christianity is the most segregated, organized institution in America. 
I, 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 does that not say something? <laughs> I mean, we, yeah. we can we can sit here and say, oh no, everything's fine in the church now. We've moved on from that. Christianity, organized churches are the number one most segregated institution in America. I mean, we're we're asking America America to repent. Maybe America needs to be asking Christians to repent, right? I mean, let, yeah. let's let's kind of take a look at, at ourselves. Let's look in the mirror here. And when you think about, you know, you talked about whether it's it, it's those who are gay are those who are transgendered, are those who are, you know, have come from other countries, Hispanics, whatever it is, when you when we treat them in a dehumanizing way, and we look at them because they're different than us. We look at them because they don't talk like we do. We look at people who are in different religions and say, oh, well, we're, they're not as good as us. We, we've completely missed what Christianity is all about to begin with. And that's why we did this episode, because ultranationalism can lead us so far away from Jesus that we, we're, not even follow, we're not even coming close to following the teachings yeah. of Jesus anymore. And that's why, yes, there's nothing wrong with loving America, but we better first love God and Jesus if we claim to be Christians. Yes. Everything else better better take second place, third place, fourth place to following Jesus Christ. And if being a Christian means I have to give up some of the, my freedoms that America allows me, I need to be more Christian in those instances than I do an American. If being a Christian means I have to go out of my way to help people that as an American I wouldn't feel obligated to help, I need to help those people and be more Christian than I would American. And the list goes on and on. But that's why this subject is so important. Jesus actually did the most rebuking against people who dehumanized others and who oppressed others. That's what upset Jesus the most. We need to take a cue from that and make no. sure that we're not following in line. Agree 100%, brother. And you know, to add to that, I think it'd be easy for people to hear this because we kind of went off on several different tangents and brought up several different things that we didn't really discuss beforehand, but that's okay. Hey, it's all it's, right. One of the things I don't want anyone to misunderstand is that I am very proud to be an American. I am so thankful to be born in the time that I am born in and to be born in a place that I'm born in. I love America. I love being an American. And like you said, man, I can't think of any better place in the world that I would rather live. I truly believe that America is possibly, I really believe, the greatest country ever. Yeah, yeah. That notwithstanding, I'm a Christian before I'm an American. Yeah. That's the attitude we need to have. Our faith and our place in the Christian nation, the church that Jesus died to establish that's where we need to plant our flag. That's what we need to be about. Yeah. If we begin to allow that those American sentiments to override. And here's the thing, like we use gay marriage as an example. I use that as an example. You don't even have to agree with gay marriage to treat homosexuals that are in a loving marriage the way Jesus would have you treat them. And that doesn't mean you protest at their wedding. That doesn't mean you tell them they're going to hell in a handbasket. That means you show them love. It means you show them compassion. It means you show them mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. 
I think James said that in James 2.13, one of my favorite passages. But that notwithstanding, the point is, are we Christians first or are we Americans first? Has our American identity eroded our Christian identity? And I think in large part for a lot of people, not everyone, but for a lot of people it has And that's what this episode has been trying to demonstrate. That's what we've been trying to discuss here. So as we wrap this up, Kevin, do you have anything else that you're wanting to share before we sign off? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've put enough qualifiers in here that if if people take it the wrong way at that point, you know, uh, there's there's really been nothing more we can say. But, you know, that's why I want to hope people will understand that this isn't about critiquing America. This is about critiquing Christians who live in America. <laughs> yeah. And 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 that's that's where I want the point of emphasis because there are a lot of people who who uh critique America and in some points they're very right and others I think they take it too far. Um I think there's there's some chronological snobbery because we can always look back and talk about how things can be better, no doubt. I'm not talking about America. I'm talking about Christians in America and how they have allowed their Americanism to be their god and to be their idol instead of allowing Jesus to be the one that they follow and, and allowing Jesus to be their savior and being a disciple of Jesus. We have to be a disciple of Jesus, not, not, not of, of America. And, you know, we've, we've gotten pretty aggressive, I think in this episode, um, in some, some ways, perhaps rightly so. Um, I, I think maybe too is, far a little bit. I think maybe I've gone too far. A couple yeah. Of times, well, hey, so. hey, me too. Just, you know, that's part of it. We'll, we'll go ahead and apologize so we don't have to do a follow-up episode. I shouldn't have said <laughs> shut up at the beginning. Okay. I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm talking to myself because I, I used to claim, you know, we were under attack. And when I started listening to refugees from other countries and people who were truly persecuted Brother, I'm going to tell you, it'll change you. I mean, it it yeah. it will change. It will make you feel like an idiot for ever believing that I was somehow persecuted right now in America. Now, is there a time that in the future may come where there is true persecution? Absolutely. I'm 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 leaving that door open to real, realizing that it could happen, and I pray to God it doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't happen. Um, I like my freedom. I like my individualistic life. I do. But at the same time, that's not what I should be fighting tooth and nail to keep. I should be, for lack of better words, fighting and even really losing that language, quite frankly, because even when you look at the armor of God, I mean, it's the gospel of peace. You know, it's it's it, it, it it reverses what we would think of as fighting and the true fight of faith is loving our enemies and those types of things. That's where we should be putting our effort. Paul never once said, hey, Jesus, how can we figure out a way to not be persecuted? Or how can we figure out a way not to go to prison? Like Paul was like, hey, you know, if I go to prison, I go to prison. Who cares? I mean, he was he was willing to, to do that because he knew his higher calling was not to try to get in legislation to keep laws that that will keep him out of prison, which I'm not saying that's wrong. Don't get me once again. Don't get me wrong. Don't mistake. Mistake what I don't hear what I'm not saying. But the but that's, that's the emphasis the was on yes the absolutely focus the emphasis was on, was on the gospel Jesus. yeah it was yes. on it was on the gospel it was getting the message of Jesus Christ his life and what he did and and bearing the fruit of the spirit that's what hit the emphasis was constantly on constantly on and that's what I think our emphasis should be on so likely hey I apologize if there, if I got heated a few times I love you I uh, love our audience um, but at the same time this is kind of I'm sorry but. I, I do think that there are certain topics 
that deserve uh perhaps more passion. And this is definitely one of those topics where when we are dealing with the most vulnerable people and we have, and and I have myself have been guilty of treating people and having those attitudes toward people. Some of this kind of anger is really directed at myself because uh, I'm kind of upset at how I used to treat people. I am upset and, and I've repented of that and I'm trying to do better going forward. But Man, I just want to be Jesus to the, to the people, especially the most vulnerable, those who who are in situations that we don't have a clue, those who are in who never had the opportunities I have. I don't want to judge those people. I want to love those people, and I hope this has been an encouraging episode to you. And maybe it's been a challenging episode. I hope it has been. If these are some of the thoughts that uh, maybe you have have been convicted on in times past, that we've been able to challenge your thinking a little bit. Just we ask that you pray about that and think about it. It is. This is a hard episode because I do love being an American and I love what America stands for. And the balance between that and what we have discussed in this episode, it's it's a difficult balance to maintain. It's not yeah. easy. But be that as it may, it's it still is worth discussing, which is what we spent the last hour and a half discussing. And to our audience, I'm going to make a tentative promise. We we went into this and we've also um, gotten a little bit political talking about uh, another topic in the past. And I just went blank on what it was. We're going to try to promise not to talk about anything political for the next four to six months. We may fail in that, but you know, you don't come here for political commentary. We're not trying to give that to you. And in large part, I don't think we did. I think that we treated this subject well because it, it, it really is a problem. Ultranationalism, hypernationalism, it is a problem and it's not a position or a mentality that is conducive to living a Christian life. It's yeah. not, it's, it's not a perspective or a, a, oh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? It, it, it has no place in the heart or in the mind of a Christian. Well, and our goal, yeah, Lee, and I want to second what you're saying. Our goal is not to get you to become a libertarian, a Democrat, a Republican, independent, uh, or just to get out of politics altogether. Whatever you are, we we believe, and Lee, I think I can speak for you when I say this. We you believe can. that I know what any, you're gonna say. Yes, whatever you identify as with your political affiliation, we believe you you can be a faithful Christian. All right, so we're not, we're not interested in saying, well, if you're a Republican, then you know you're a horrible person and you need to become a Democrat, or if you're a Democrat, you're a horrible person and you become a Republican, and, and or if you're a Libertarian, well, you know you're just crazy like Lee and you need to become an Independent. Oh, you're um, the best if you're a Libertarian. You know, saying. <laughs> I mean, come on. But we, we, you know, this this podcast is not about politics, but it is about Jesus, and and there are times when. We have to talk about things that can be considered in the realm of of politics. In my mind, really, it's it's more Jesus than it is politics. Politics has kind of hijacked um, some of these topics and some of these things, unfortunately, because there is such an, an enmeshment of of these types of things that we do have to talk about them from time to time. But yeah, I, I want to make it clear, as and, and Lee does too, that we're not saying you need to convert to one party or another. Um, if you're loving people. And you're you're loving God and you are doing your best with the resources that you have and the opportunities you have to take care of those who are vulnerable and your attitude is in the right place. 
you may disagree with certain policies politically. You may have different doctrinal views. You may hold to different uh, beliefs and positions. But if you're doing those things, brother, Godspeed, sister, Godspeed. And, and that's that's what we're here for is to, to, to really just prompt a love ethic among all of us, um, even when we do disagree. Yeah. And whenever that Americanism gets in the way of living out what Jesus has called us to live out, that's when we need to check ourselves. And that's what this entire episode has been about. Well, brother, I think it's been good. I think we've had a really good conversation and it's almost an hour and 40 minutes now. How about it? How about man. it, brother? How All about right. it? We're back, baby. We're back. Short ones. Yeah, that's right. We but are yeah, back. we are back. And we're on YouTube now. So if you like this video, if you like what we're doing, once you subscribe, even if you don't like it, go ahead and give us one of those, those hateful subscribes. Go ahead and click that subscribe button so that you can just decry us. I mean, hey, maybe if you disagree with what we're saying, at least we're going to give you good sermon. I was uh, going to be preaching, yeah, right? This I is mean, the type of episode that makes everybody upset, unfortunately, you know? Yeah, that's so. right. Yeah, hopefully we can stay in all of your good graces and you'll extend us some mercy as well. But in any case, we would ask that you subscribe to our podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, um, give us that five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you choose to consume podcasts on. We appreciate you all. We wish you all a good night.